So we need to do a much better job as a church to, first of all, dispel the myth that Catholic education is only for the wealthy. We need to educate people on the real history of a Catholic education as a way for the poor and the underserved to rise in society. And then, you know, this is a simple one, but it's going to take some work. We need to get out of the upper room and go preach the accessibility of Catholic schools, neighborhood by neighborhood. Over 1.6 million children in America are educated at the country's almost 6,500 Catholic schools. School choice options lessen the financial burden carried by these families. They allow more families to consider Catholic schools. On today's episode, Register Senior Editor Joan Desmond and I will speak with Sean Peterson, a leading advocate for school choice. Welcome, Joan Desmond, and aren't you excited for this upcoming episode? Absolutely. Sean is a great source, and he has a lot to say. I can't wait. Sean Peterson is president of Catholic Education Partners, a national Catholic nonprofit whose mission is to serve the Catholic community by advancing policy that empowers families and children to enjoy the benefits of a Catholic education. Sean was associate director for public policy with the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and prior to that, he spent two decades working on numerous legislative and policy issues, including parental choice and education. Sean is also a consultant to the USCCB's Committee on Education and is an advisory board member of the Institute for the Transformation of Catholic Education at the Catholic University of America. He lives in Stillwater, Minnesota, so pay attention to his cool Minnesota accent, and his wife, with his wife and three children, and is a member of the Parish of St. Michael. Welcome to Religious Freedom Matters, Sean. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hey, Sean. Good to see you. Joan, good to see you again. Shauna, your organization, Catholic Education Partners, asserts, and I'll quote, that parental empowerment over their children's education opportunities will allow more families to benefit from Catholic education, allay the Catholic school funding crisis, protect the religious integrity and autonomy of parochial schools, and ultimately serve the common good, end quote. I couldn't agree more. I'd like us to unpack this during our conversation today. And let's start off with talking about the connection between school choice and making Catholic schools available and accessible to more Catholic families. Great. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, that's a huge and important mission that we do. And so I think of this way, people with means have always had choices, and that includes where they send their children to school, right? But for most families without means, they often have little or no choice at all. I mean, they're kind of stuck at their local government school. And so even though Catholic schools, you know, are a great value for money, I think, uh, for many families, especially with multiple children, this extra annual expense is just still out of reach. And that's where school choice comes in and really levels the playing fields for those families. And that that's why we're why I'm so passionate about this and why we're we're engaged in this 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 policy struggle. Sean, you say that school choice for parents can address the Catholic school funding crisis. How dire is the crisis? Um, well, I hate to say you know I hate to say dire, but you know it's certainly been better in in past years. And as we know, you know many Catholic schools, even in the heyday, struggled to make ends meet. Um, if you've ever seen one of my favorite movies, The Bells of St. Mary's, 
uh, even Bing Crosby and Ingrid Bergman had to rely on the kindness of others to keep the school afloat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is still the case today. I think in some places, especially that have school choice, things are good. Also, many of our Catholic schools have seen an enrollment due to COVID and government schools being shuttered. My friend Tom Carroll, who's a superintendent in Boston, Catholic superintendent in Boston, their enrollment's up about 6% due to COVID. And I think, thankfully, those families are staying. Um, but, you know, it's it's always a struggle if you don't have t- deep pockets like government schools do. And this is where school choice really makes a difference. But I think, you know, some schools are doing well, some schools are not. But, you know, I mean, we, we don't have uh, the literally free help that we had when we had huge amounts of, you know, religious sisters and brothers teaching in our schools. Salaries are expensive and we need to pay people a living wage. And so that's put a lot of strain on on Catholic schools in the last 50 years. Now, Sean, one of the third points that you make in the mission statement is about the critical autonomy of our Catholic schools. And we were speaking on our last episode with Bishop Daly, who's the head of the USCCB Committee on Education, and he was talking about staying on mission. And he's very passionate about the importance of Catholic schools being true and authentic to the Catholic mission. We've got some legal protections in place to safeguard decision-making, but what is there any concern that you have on kind of if we partner with government around school choice, what are the pitfalls to protecting our autonomy? You know, kind of are there going to be any um, conditions attached to the purse and to the purse strings? And what are the steps to insulate us from that? Well, that's, yeah, that's a major concern of ours. And and we, you know, we partner with secular organizations as well when we work in a state to, to help get school choice advanced and passed. But our, our primary thing that we bring to the table and that we um, insist upon for our participation in a coalition, for example, is that there are religious protections and, and autonomy for Catholic schools to be able to participate in those school choice programs. So I just think of other, I mean, there's always going to be threats to Catholic schools, especially as the culture and society becomes more secularized. You know, legislation like the so-called Equality Act that, you know, they've been trying to get through Congress, that would have been a huge infringement upon not only individual religious liberty, but our religious institutions, our Catholic schools as well. But you know, some of the transgender issues that have popped up over the last few years have put a lot of pressure on Catholic schools, especially in, in, in the area of sports. But if you, you know, if we're mindful of these things, as Bishop Daly said, and we're just, by the way, we're very grateful that Bishop Daly is actually on our board of directors as well. So what we what we make sure is that when these laws are written, when school choice laws are drafted, that there's nothing in there that says the government is allowed to, you know, say what's in a school's creed, to place hiring and and firing stipulations on the school, admissions policies, all of these kind of things. And so, but, but we have to be very vigilant and to make sure those things are actually in black and white in law. We can't assume anymore. We can't assume the good anymore of, of, of government is going to, you know, save Catholic schools or protect us. One of your most interesting points, Sean, I think, is this issue of how Catholic education can promote the common good. And, you know, here I am out here in Silicon Valley where billionaires are giving away huge amounts of money for the public system. And, mm-hmm. and you know, rightly so, the public system is 
and its health and safety are at the very center of the common good for many people. But I thought, hey, how about the argument for Catholic schools as promoting the common good? And shouldn't more of you with deep pockets be really impressed with what's happening in so many parts of the country with what Catholic schools have done to promote the health and, and well-being of children at the bottom of society? What, what can we do? You know, tell us more about that argument. Well, I think, you know, if you look at the history of there's sort of two parts of that, if, if you specifically look at Catholic schools and you look at the history of Catholic education and what it's done for citizens in this country for, for over 200 years, I mean, the, actually the first Catholic school in North America was 1606. But if we fast forward to sort of the more common United States era, Catholic schools have, have brought, as I always say, they've brought people from the boat to the boardroom in one generation. It was Catholic schools that first ed educated African-American children when it was illegal to go to a, a government school, a public school. We educated the poor Irish and the poor Germans and the immigrant Poles and everybody else. And so when they couldn't either go to a public school or the public school wasn't a good fit for them. So to me, school choice promotes the common good because it lifts up the individual, first of all, and gives them better opportunities. And if the individual is better, that benefits society as a whole. And we also know from numerous academic studies that school choice actually benefits the entire education system, including those traditional government schools. It forces them to get better because of competition. And then, so that even children that stay in those schools tend to get a better education. And that's certainly good for society. And then the final thing I would say is that we know from other many, uh, other numerous studies, including studies that the Pew Research Group has done, that children who attend Catholic and other non-government schools, especially religious schools, make very good, active, and engaged citizens. And that certainly, to me, um, is is for the common good. Now, Sean, I um, totally agree. And this, the research is really out there um, to show, I think it was Nicole Garnett that we spoke with last go around. She was talking about this Catholic school phenomenon, mm -hmm. you know, great behavioral um kind of strides for kids that that are at Catholic schools, especially if they're coming from troubled um, family backgrounds, um, incredible graduation retention rates, academic skills, like you said before, civic contributions, kind of this notion of you're part of a community and you need to be a positive contributor. But I can't help but think about politicians who say, you know, I, I went to Catholic schools my whole life and their lives reflect anything but the truths that we hold dear, a protection of the unborn or respect for human dignity, proper understanding of marriage, sexuality, all of these things that are kind of core principles of Catholic teaching. And you think like, were you asleep? Like what was going on? Why are you not? Why didn't it stick? Um, and some of it can be just, you know, a matter of, of free will, people deciding to reject what they were, were being taught. But some of it was maybe a lukewarm Catholic education. We spoke earlier in our conversation about um, Bishop Daly's focus on mission and being authentically Catholic. Last series, we spoke with another member on your board, Mike Ortner, who is a friend of mine, and he has put together the Catholic School Playbook, basically interviewing successful, thriving schools to figure out what's their secret recipe. And a lot of it is being kind of robustly and authentically Catholic. 
what are the trends that you see? What are the things that our schools really should be kind of out there unabashedly displaying, not hiding, not backpedaling or undermining or or discounting as far as keeping that Catholic identity strong and growing it? Well, I, yeah, I think there's there there is an amazing since I've I've come into this role at CP, I, I've just seen an amazing growth in a purposeful growth in in trying to have organizations and other resources to help Catholic schools maintain that Catholic identity. And I and I agree. I mean, that is so important. And, and yeah, Mike and I talk about this quite often. And you know, if we don't maintain strong Catholic identity in our schools, then there's really no point in operating schools anymore. Um, we can't just become another option on the education menu or or even, you know, a charter school with one hour of religion a day and mass one once a week. Um, we certainly Catholic schools are very strong academically. That's proven. We're proud of it. But our first goal needs to be getting kids into heaven, not Harvard. And you can't accomplish that without being Christ-centered and being faithful to his church in all things. And I think part of the downturn in Catholic education, and this is my opinion, over many decades has been in part due to losing Catholic identity and really trying to keep up with the Joneses, which I mean, by that, I mean the secular trends and secular world. Like, you know, it seems like every time something, the secular education system does something, then a, a few Catholics, oh, maybe we should adopt that. You know, maybe we should be super strong STEM or maybe we should be college prep or we should do this or that. And I think um, if if we just get back to what made Catholic education great and what brought us to the high point in the 60s of almost 6 million kids in this country going to Catholic school. Um, but there's a, just so many great organizations, uh, you know, out there that are doing good things and like, you know, the Catholic school playbook you mentioned. And, you know, we're just trying to be a part of that. But we we have to be Catholic. I mean, <laughs> Catholic school, like it's in the name. I think, I mean, you and I were talking last spring when we were taking stock of the pandemic and where things were for Catholic education about the need to robustly, robustly communicate the goals, the mission, the gifts of Catholic education and, and bring that message to more people. It's clear we're at a turning point really nationally, I mean, with 11% homeschooling, there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of change going on. People are looking at new options. I'm guessing there probably are even more parents who are staying home um, because of the pandemic and the need to support their children or they're rethinking their jobs. So it's a great time to talk more about Catholic education as people are reassessing so much in their life. What's been successful since we spoke last? Have you seen specific initiatives that are kind of you know, nailing people, really getting people's attention? Well, I think, you know, in, in part, I have to say, you know, the pandemic and um, COVID, we, I think when you and I last spoke, um, we weren't quite sure what that was going to look like and, and how schools were going to react and were Catholic schools going to go up, were they going to go down? And we, and we did have some closures, obviously. I think we had some closures of schools that were just kind of probably on the precipice anyway and, and, and may have closed very soon. But I think, one thing Catholic schools really did and showed their worth, which is why a lot of parents jumped to them, is they showed their resilience and that their ability to stick with mission of educating children and to sort of not be afraid. They're doing it safely. Let's make that clear. They're doing it very safely. But they, they are educating children and that's what schools are supposed to do. And so I think we need to get that message out 
and I think, you know, again, like I said, in Boston and other places, enrollment's up 6%, 7 8 9% in some places. And so we've got to keep telling that story. And I think programs like this are great. That's a great opportunity. But we've also got to get our, we've got to get our priests start to talk about it from the pulpit. You know, parents are in the pews. They need to hear what's, what a great education is available for their kids. And then I think all of us that work in this space need to, for one thing, get together and figure out how do we promote the greatest education system in the nation? What does that look like? How do we bring more families in? And I think success breeds success. You know, Sean, I'm very interested in the one of the third pillars of the work that you're doing at Catholic Education Partners. My, boy, all of my kids at home were all born in South America. They are Colombians, so they are, his, you know, Hispanic Americans. Um, recently, we returned back to the country. And our experience in South America with private education and public education really was the haves and the have-nots, right? Um and for many years in South America, and especially in Catholic countries like Colombia, there was the the formation and teaching of Catholic doctrine and still is in some respects in public schools. So there wasn't the, the need to create parochial schools to really kind of teach and form and pass on the faith. It's, it's facing its own crisis right now. So there is a problem of catechesis there. But we come back here and I can see among U.S. Hispanics, especially among first generation or second generation Hispanics, they do have a connection with the, their faith, their Catholic faith, although some are trending towards evangelical churches as well. But they're not enrolled at the same rates as other Catholics in the U.S. And as our church becomes more and more Hispanic, um, how do we reach Hispanic families that are Catholic and, or not, or maybe are drop, falling away? How do we bring them? Is it just a matter of money or is there something else also going on? And what do you think and what do you think um, should our, be, our steps as a church? Well, yeah, you've hit some, you know, you've hit it on the head. And I think, first of all, we need to understand the problem and, and, and what the, what it looks like right now. So, you talked about it just a little bit. So Hispanics now account for 40% of all U.S. Catholics and a solid majority of school-age Catholics. But Hispanic Americans are shockingly underrepresented in our Catholic schools. I think it's it's le just a little bit less than 19% of Catholic school enrollment, So which you know you just talked about. Now, something else you just talked about, which is something else we need to understand so that we can actually fix the problem, is for many Hispanics in the U.S. that come from Latin American countries, private schools, including Catholic ones, were viewed as like bastions of the wealthy. So there's no sort of, it, it's this, creates a sense of that's not for us. And so we've got to change that dynamic. And then another thing that you touched on is simple, it, just simple economics. You know, with tuition averaging, you know, more than around $5,000 for elementary grades and I think 10000 for high school, which I think is still a good value. But Catholic education, you know, in the U.S. is unaffordable for many Hispanic families who struggle financially. So we need to do a much better job as a church to, first of all, dispel the myth that Catholic education is only for the wealthy. We need to educate people on the real history of a Catholic education 
as a way for the the poor and the underserved to rise in society. And then, you know, this is a, a simple one, but it's going to take some work. We need to get out of the upper room and go preach the accessibility of Catholic schools, neighborhood by neighborhood, if if necessary. We've got to talk about it from the pulpit. Our bishops have to talk more about it. And then, you know, organizations like ours and others, we need to assist those families in states especially that have school choice. We need to help them find those programs, get on those programs, and stay on them. And then we need to help advocate for new ones. Sean, I want to ask you real quick, on the horizon, there's a lot of discontent among parents. And and in where I live in the Commonwealth of Virginia, that discontent was so great that the gubernatorial election uh, turned on the issue of parental involvement in education and respect for the role of, of parents as primary educators. So it seems like a lot of parents are waking up to this truth. What do you see going on across the country? And is that going to expand the number of school choice programs and initiatives at the state level? Do you think that this is kind of a moment in time where we're going to move from kind of a monopoly that the public schools have over education to really leveling the playing field so parents can choose the best fit for their kids? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think, you know, last year, last year was actually called the year of education choice because we we passed a lot of programs actually that weren't just school focused, but, but you know, ESAs, education savings accounts that allowed parents to make even other other options. So I, I believe this year and next year, we've got a real opportunity in part due to COVID, but then in part, you know, as these programs pass and more parents hear about them, like talk to the legislators, well, why don't we have that? Why, why don't my children have an option to go to the school of their choice? Why don't I as a parent or a taxpayer, why am I paying twice? Like, why don't I have other options? So I think as more and more states pass and fall to school choice in a good way, you're going to have more and more talk about it. It's more, I've seen more articles and it's more in the news lately than it's been in probably a decade. And so, and then with COVID again, like people are discovering, like, I don't have to just settle for having my kids sit home and sit on a Zoom call and not really learn anything. There are schools out there that are doing great. And those, a lot of those schools are Catholic schools. So, you know, word is starting to spread. Parents are waking up. You know, you know, Americans love choice. We, we, you know, that's why Amazon is a, a major, major company, right? Because, <laughs> you know, people, Americans love consumer options. And, you know, it, it's always shocked me. If you told someone they have to go shop at this grocery store, there'd be pitchforks and, and you know, and fire at the Capitol, right? But you tell them your child is forced into this, you know, mediocre school in your neighborhood and they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll take that. Well, people aren't, people are waking up to that and they're like, no, you know what? We're not going to take that for our kids. This is like really important for our children. And, you know, Sean, just fin uh, reacting to what you said, I think the other side is that engagement on the part of the parish community and all. I, one of the most impressive interviews I had in the last year was the Vicar of Education in Brooklyn. Every single mass that tended to attract Hispanic or, or Haitian families 
who he knew wanted more options. He was there talking about school enrollment. They broke down things to make it easier for those parents to come and and find out more so it doesn't seem intimidating. They had people to help with language translation as needed. So I did see that side to it as well. While you're doing what you're doing, what they can do is make it all much less intimidating, more accessible, more welcoming. And I was just, I was so inspired by his hard work and just every day is another day. Didn't let a day go by to make this happen. Yeah, Joan, I mean, that's a great point. And again, it's it's about, we are a church of evangelization. And so you can't do that if you're sitting in your office or you're sitting wherever. Just a, a really quick little story, especially addressing the Hispanic, Hispanic Americans in the church. So there was a, a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, and he got a parish that was kind of dying out. It had probably been like a, either a big Polish or Irish parish at one time, filling, you know, full to the brim, St. Stephen's in Minneapolis. So Father Williams noticed, you know, the neighborhood had changed. It was mostly Hispanic and people weren't coming to mass and it was, the, the parish was dying. Father Williams actually went door to door to door in the neighborhood, knocked on doors, welcomed families to to mass, welcomed them, you know, to the school, welcomed them to come to participate. It was their church. Come to your church. And now it, that is a thriving, filled to the brims Hispanic parish. I think they have, you know, four masses on Sunday, some on Saturday. And I will say, I'm I'm proud to say that Father Williams just became Bishop Williams last week. <laughs> uh, the Holy Father made him Auxiliary Bishop of Minneapolis and St. Paul. So right. this is what we need to do, folks. We got to get out of the upper room and go evangelize. Well, and Sean, you make a really great point. Um, and I just want to add to it. It's it's amazing when our priests and bishops do that. But we all need to remember we are the church. And so um, if it's talking to your neighbors or your relatives and convincing them that while there is a sacrifice to Catholic education and choosing it for your children, it yields tons of benefits. And I don't know how many conversations I've had at cross-country meets or sitting on the bleachers of a soccer game and just talking to people about the transformative effect of a loving helpful school for my family and for families around people that have been struggling when they get that community, um, which really a Catholic school should be a place of community, not just a place where you drop your kids off, but really a place where all families feel that they're part of the school. But that that really does strengthen. And, and at a time where we're so fractured and divided, a society really could use a little bit of the unifying glue that we can we can offer as a church and through our schools. So I really want to thank you, Sean. Um, if you want to find out more about Sean's work at, at the Catholic Education Partners, you can learn more about them at catholiced.us. They have incredible resources, kind of keep you up to date on goings on in the news and really inspire you to to also get involved in promoting both Catholic schools and school choice in your communities and in your state. Stay tuned for our wrap-up where Joan and I are going to talk about what we learned in this episode and our next episode, the third season of Religious Freedom Matters, our school choice series. Thanks again, Sean. Thank, Thank you, you Sean. Thank you, Joan. Thank you, Andrea. 
Joan, I think that this was an incredibly uh, informative and insightful interview with uh, with Sean. What were some of the things that stuck out from you, and what are you what are your takeaways from our conversation? Well, he's given us our marching orders, don't you think, Andrea? I mean, I am older. My kids have already finished their Catholic education. But he's saying, whatever your age, whether you've got kids, whether you know people who do, whether you're an aunt, uncle, pastor, bishop, everyone, this is an all-hands-on-deck moment when we have a real opportunity to bring many more people into the Catholic system and to shore up the finances and tuition assistance for those who are already there. And all of us need to get out of the upper room. We need to get out of our silos. Pastors need to work with principals, parents, and parishioners need to work with the schools and the pastors and figure out ways to strengthen this, get the word out, um, have a stronger academic program, more, more focus on evangelization and connection between the school and the parish and the whole community. Absolutely. And I was particularly struck by our conversation about the need to reach out to Hispanic Catholics in the U.S. and to be creative, understanding where they're coming from and inviting them to take advantage of the great opportunities that are found for themselves, for their children, for their families as a whole, and for building up our church Our next episode will focus on this exact issue. We're going to be bringing in a leader in Hispanic ministry, Lucia Losando, to talk exactly about what is the issue facing U.S. Hispanics and how do we get more families to take advantage of Catholic education. If you're interested in listening to our prior episodes, many of which we talked about in this last episode, you can check them out at ncregister.com and at the website of the Conscience Project. That's conscience-project.org.